Amen. Well, this is going to be the last one of a series. Started with the house of prayer last week. We talked about that the house of God was the pillar and the ground of the truth. And we've been talking about the house of God because the house of God is misunderstood today, I believe, in our culture. I believe that there is a um, undermining and really a uh, dissolving away of the house of family, the house of God, and even the house of government. And anarchy is doing away with any type of governance and and dividing up the family and redefining the family is really the undermining and the destroying of the house of family. You know, well, you know, family can be you and, and your boyfriend, you know, two men, a dog, and a and a, you know, somebody's cat thrown in just for, you know, a little bit of interest. And, and we'll call that a marriage, and we'll call that a family. And, and you can have three homosexual men and, and a three-year-old girl be adopted. And, and, oh, that's just fine. Well, no, it, it isn't fine. There's something wrong with that. The Word of God clearly defines family, clearly defines civil governance as lawgivers, judges, and kings, legislative branch, judicial branch, executive branch. There's purpose and there's meaning and there's reasons why God does everything he does. He defines family as a father and a mother and the children. And he defines the church as the elders and the deacons and the saints. Read it. They're called bishops in Philippians 1.1. It says now to the bishops and the, uh, and the deacons and the saints at Philippi. And his beginning salutation mentions those three because it corresponds with three in every, every one of God's institutions, father, mother, child, executive branch, judicial branch, and legislative branch in the government. And in the church, there's the elders. They're like the parent, like the father who leads. The elder leads. The deacon is the, is the helper. It literally means one who serves and helps. And then you've got the saints, those being developed to do the same. And because God is a father and God has a son, which would be like the child. And then the Holy Spirit has very much the maternal attributes of one called alongside. And John, he says, I'll send a comforter when I leave. Comforter means par- is the Greek word paraclete. Paraclete means one called alongside to be the helper. Just like Adam, uh, God took a, a rib out of Adam and brought back beside his side a helper. He said that it's not good for man to be alone, but that he will bring a helpmate. And he put it beside Adam and took it from Adam's side, his rib, and created the helpmate. And the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, is called the helper, one called alongside to help. And so there in the Trinity of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is likened unto a helpmate, like a female role in that household of God. And so when we understand those three things, that God does everything by threes, protons, neutrons, electrons, past, present, future, solid, gas, liquid, you could go on and on and on that everything does, that he does is in a triunity in nature. And so when we begin to understand those things, we understand the church. And they're trying, you know, there's this idea that everybody's just the same in, in rank and everybody just does whatever they want. And, and it's mass confusion. I've been in churches where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And there was no vision because everybody had their own vision, which equals die vision. 
And when you have that, you have confusion, you have disorder, you don't have a well-ordered machine. You know, the Bible talks about assembling together, not thrown together, not just a mob, not just a bunch of people, not just a group, but assembled, just like a car in an assembly line. You can't just throw all the parts in a pile and then think you're going to turn a key and the car's going to work. You can't throw the tires on top of the hood and the engine in the trunk and the steering wheel on the, on the front bumper and think a car is going to work. You can't just throw a church together any old way, everybody doing their own thing. Well, I think this ought to be done. I think this ought to be done. Well, my ministry is I'm going to do this, and my ministry is I'm going to do that. No way. You've got to have one vision. You've got to have one leader. You've got to have the elders, and you've got the deacons helping, and the people all in the ministry of helps, all going towards the same goal. And when everybody does what's right in your own eyes, you have mass confusion. It doesn't work. I've seen churches that operate that way. And it might look good from the outside, but from the inside, there's nothing but confusion. And God does not and is not the author of confusion, the Bible says, tells us. Can I get an amen, somebody? Today we're going to be talking about we are not only the house of truth, but we're the house of faith. Turn to Galatians, the sixth chapter and the tenth verse. We'll pick up there. And I want to use this as my keynote scripture for today's message, the house of faith. I'm going to read there, and it says in verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Now, how many of you know as Christians we're supposed to be uh, a light and and do good and love and and bring good news to everybody? I mean, that goes without saying. But this next part that I want to say, part B of this verse, really is a little bit illuminating. It says, And we... Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially. Everybody say, especially. How many of you, turn to your neighbor and say, you're special. Some of the husbands and wives haven't said that for a long time. No, just kidding. Lee and Sherry have been married for 54 years. 55 years. Let's give them a great big hand. Amen. Smile, Lee. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, they're special. Look what it says. As we have therefore the opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. This is the household. This is the family of God. You treat your brothers and sisters differently than you treat other people. You don't treat other people bad. But you, how many of you know you can't get Christmas presents for everybody? But you get them for your brothers and sisters. And the way you did when you were little. And that immediately household of faith, there is something that's special. There's special, a uniqueness. I remember when I was a young man, I had just gotten saved. And, of course, I, I kind of, I didn't have it together. You know, I was depressed. And, but, but everything I, I mean, I... Kind of everything I did, I was pretty successful at. But then I got very depressed and was very unhappy and had no direction. And it was because God was bringing me to a sorrow that led me to repentance. But I always thought, you know, I'm, I, I've always felt like I'm pretty uh, competent and capable. And, and I remember one time I went and, and uh, there was a bunch of people and met together at this meeting in Marshalltown, Iowa. And I was just a baby Christian. And, and they, they, they were a group of people and they were believers. And they were a little different than me. And, and, and some of them were kind of needy folks and... And I thought, man, I don't know if I want to hang out with this crowd. I'm just not sure I want to hang out with this crowd. I don't know if they're just me or I'm just not. 
I don't know if I just fit in with these, these folks here. And I, I was still, how many of you know you still have a little bit of wor- the world in you? You think maybe you're better than people or something, or, or you, you, you want to choose your friends according to how successful or, or this or that or, or all these weird little reasons instead of just embracing the household of faith. I can remember God rebuking me and saying, this is your family. And these are the people that will pray for you. And these are my children. Do you have a problem with them? And I thought, whoa. I mean, it's just like those words just came to me like, this is my family and these are my children. And do you have a problem with them? And they are, you know, and, and God showed me, you know, the dumbest Christian is smarter than the most intelligent Ivy League educated heathen atheist. Can I get an Amen. Because he's got the most important question right. And if you aren't smart enough to know the most important question, which is eternity and salvation and relationship with the divine deity, creator, almighty God revealed in Jesus Christ that created this whole universe, then you're an idiot. If you don't get that question as your first priority and make it your first priority to get that right, and then everything else will fall in place. You see... And God showed me that these people have it right. And the the simplest-minded Christian is far wiser than the most intelligent, highly educated, billionaire, I don't care who they are, heathen. Because the Bible says that they're fools in their loss and professing to be wise, they became fools. And God will make the wisdom of this world into foolishness. And it's by the foolishness of preaching that men should be saved. You see, God makes it so his lowest is higher than their highest. And he, and he, and he wants them to understand that. Because God's ways are far above our ways and God's thoughts are far above our thoughts. And even as the height of the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways and thoughts higher than simple little mankind's. Can I get an amen? We've got to understand the great transcendency of God and his wisdom and intelligence. How it supersedes immeasurably above any human Uh, thought. So here we see that we're especially supposed to love the household of faith. The household of faith may be the poorest person in Africa, the starving child in Syria, uh, the persecuted church in Syria, uh, the most uh, troubled and simple and and problem and sick and, and poor and broke and down and out in the gutter type of person who's a Christian. We should be especially loving them above everybody else. Can I get an amen? Because we should love the household of faith. Do good, especially under the household of faith. Are you doing good to the household of faith? Or are you like in Hebrews 10.25, forsaking the assembling of yourselves together? It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of such, and how much more, as you see the day approaching. Many don't assemble together because they don't care about the household of faith. They, you know, notice the word that's being used there, do not forsake. Everybody say forsake. Don't forsake. See, the household of faith, we're not to forsake. We're to stay faithful to the faithful. Because the ultimate one who is faithful has told us to do so. And you see, when we have this household of faith, It's a group of people that God has committed us to. And he sets every member into the body as it pleases him. And this is the household of faith setting here this morning. This is the faithful people that will pray for you. 
These are the faithful people that will help you financially. These are the faithful people that will hold you up and be your friend. These are the faithful people that will fellowship with you. These are the faithful people that will come and get you out, out of trouble. That will be there when you have uh, your worst day. These are the people that are going to be the ones who actually love you and care about you and do what's best for you and speak the truth to you. Here are the faithful. Because you know what? The guys at work, the people down the street, um, the people... Uh, that you see every day walking up and down. Uh, They're not the ones that are going to come and help you. It's the people that are in this room. Can I get an amen? It's the place where faith is. It's the place that you come to if you're sick. If there's any sick among you, let them call for or come to the elders of the church and let them pray over them and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. This is where you come to if you're sick. This is where you come to if you need counsel. This is where you come to when you want to hear the word. This is where you come to if you want to repent. This is where you come to if you want to rededicate your life. This is the house of faith. This is the people that you can count on and trust and that you will not be. And, and when they aren't, shame on them. But you ever think that when you're not doing that, you're one of those? Are you one of the faithful that you could come to? Are you one of the pillars and the stalwarts and the faithful ones that can be trusted to always be there if you had trouble? Would you trust you in your worst disaster to restore you, be there for you, help you and bless you, pray for you? Or are you one of the ones that aren't really making the household of faith a household of faith? See, we've got to ask ourselves that. Am I as good as I want all the other people to be? Or is there just a little bit of hypocrisy in my judgment of the church? Are you the one that you would want to entrust yourself to? If everything that could go wrong went wrong, your child committed suicide, your husband or wife left you, and you found out that they had been committing adultery, and you found out that your business, you lost everything, and you're, in, you're, million, you're at that million dollars in debt, and the IRS is coming after you, and where were you going to go to? Would you want to be the one that you would get to go to, that you needed to go to for help? Would you want to be that person? Then you've got to ask yourself, am I, am I contributing to the household of faith, or do I weaken it? Am I there every week? Am I there always praying? Am I there always giving? Am I there supporting this thing, making this thing stays afloat, making sure that there are people there when other people bottom out and their life gets devastated by something? I want to be part of the answer, not part of the problem. How about you? I want to be the household of faith. I want to be that person. And there's four things that we need to be to be a household of faith. And there's four things that we need to endeavor uh, that will cause this place to be a household of faith for the lost and the hurting and the backslidden and those who need to come home to Jesus. Can I get an amen? And the first thing that we need to be is a place of love. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's an old saying. Everybody has been used to that. But you know what? It's so true. It's worth repeating again. And in Galatians 5, 6, I want you to turn there this morning and look at a verse of Scripture with me. And we're going to talk about how the household of faith has to be a place where there's love. And as you see there in Galatians, the fifth chapter, in the sixth verse, a very powerful statement Paul makes to that region through this letter that was circulated. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. But faith which worketh by love. Your faith works by the love 
that God shows us. Not whether I'm circumcised or not. You know, in the Old Testament, you had to be circumcised to be part of the covenant. And, of course, we, we wouldn't say circumcised or not circumcised. Hey, we might say other things like whether I'm, you know, uh, a perfect tither or, or whether I'm this or whether I'm, you know, uh, never said a, a wrong word to anybody or, or if I'm a, a person who's never, you know, stepped out of, out of walking in love and, and, and all this and, and then only would, would God really love me. That, no, no, God loves you regardless. How many of you know God loves Adolf Hitler as much as he loves Mother Teresa? But Mother Teresa received that love by faith and was delivered from the powers of darkness. And Adolf Hitler, apparently, through the fruits of his life, reveals to us that he never trusted in that love of God and used faith to receive it. But you see, faith works by love. Faith works because we know that there's a God in heaven who loves us enough that we can put our trust in him. And we can trust his word. Turn with me to 1 John. And I want to I read a portion of scripture over there that is, is very, very powerful. I love this, this portion of scripture. And it's very, very revealing and illuminating. Verse 16, we're going to begin in 1 John 4 and we're going to start in verse 16 and we're going to read down through several verses. And it says, well, I'm going to just start in 15. 15 looks really good, too. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, or toward us, we could say. And God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Here in our love is made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know what gives us boldness? Is knowing that God loves us. Not, I, you know, if I had to depend upon my goodness on the day of judgment, I'd be hiding in the corner someplace. Because I know how wicked the, the soul of man is because I was lost until I was 20. I still once in a while let my flesh dominate me and do stupid things. And I'm sure none of you ever do that. <laughs> Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Oh, that's an important statement. You can't love him until you know he loves you. It's like you can't trust somebody and, you know, I mean, you just can't until you know that they, they are trustworthy. And perfect love casts out fear. And fear is what? Everybody, we talk about this all the time. The fear of the wicked shall come upon them, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted to them. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is a belief that something bad, which comes from the devil, a fear that something bad is going to happen because Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came and went to have life more, more abundantly. Faith is a belief that something good is going to happen. And of course, we know that's from God then. If it's good, can I get an amen? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So we know if we have fear, we unknowingly and unwittingly many times are putting our faith in the devil. We don't realize it. We don't think that way. I mean, we don't, 
connect those dots, but it's still the devil has got you dumbed down because you're not full of the word because faith comes by hearing hearing about the word. The more you get filled with the word, the more you'll have faith and not fear. The more you get filled with the world and, the, and, and the, he's the God of this world, the more you get filled with the world, the more you'll have fear and not faith. Is that kind of simple? There's nothing really hard about understanding that. But perfect love, once you know God perfectly loves you, he casts out all fear. And when you cast out all fear and you know God loves you, then the only thing left is faith. Let me see. Cast out fear. Get uh, the fear of me getting in a car accident. Up, oh, Cast out because I know God loves you too much to let that happen. The fear that I'm going to run out of money. Perfect love casts that fear out because I know that God in his love says he is going to take care of me in my financial realm. See, perfect love, a father casts fear out of his children by going to them at night when they're scared and they heard some noise in the attic. And he says, well, that's just the house shifting. The house creaks like that all the time. Or the water pipes, when it goes from hot to cold, they, con- they con- you know, expand and contract and it makes that noise. And-, and it isn't the boogeyman upstairs, it's just the water pipes. And he's taking perfect love, caring for them, explaining them, and giving them truth, casts out their fear. Can I get an amen? Well, God tells us the truth about the reality of God, this world, our existence, and us being created for his good pleasure and his love and his protection for us. And he tells us about it, and and we're like scared little kids down here on earth, and we listen to it, and then it starts to cast the fear out of us. So then we can operate in faith, because faith, you can't operate in fear and faith at the same time, because if you're operating in fear, you're looking to the devil and what's bad, and if you're operating in faith, you're looking to the God who's explaining to you all the good that he has for you through this Bible, and then you start going from fear to faith. Perfect love casts out all fear. Anybody getting anything out of that? It's a powerful portion of scripture. You need to get that. You need to meditate upon it. And so, first of all, to be a household of faith, there has to be love. You have to understand that God loves you to have a household of faith. If you don't think God loves you, you'll have a household of fear, and there's a lot of those in the world. You know, Hitler ran a household of fear. That's how he controlled people. Every dictator runs a household of fear. Every cult runs a household of fear. Every dictator and despot runs a house of fear. Every wrong type of parenting can create a household of fear. But where there's knowledge of God, there's faith, and fear gets cast out. It's a lovely thing. And we can come boldly, it says in Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace in our time of need and trouble. Because fear gets cast out, and we know that loving one that we can run to. And when fear is gone, then faith, and we can know, we can come boldly. Because we don't have a father that's going to say, you're stupid, get out of here and slap you back. And uh, you know, no, he says, no, let me tell you more about myself, how much I love you, how much I've provided for you, how much I'm your healer, your deliverer, your provider, your best friend, your strong tower, your glory and lifter of your head, and your blessing coming in, your blessing going out, making you the head and not the tail. And, and he could go on and on and on, and all, forgetting out all the benefits, who forgives all your nakedness, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness, who re- restores your youth as eagle, who satisfies your mouth with good things. You know, you just can't find, you, you, it's just, you can't find an end to all the blessings the Bible says that God wants to give you. And it starts to cast out fear. Oh, he's for me. He's not against me. And then you begin, see, the household of faith has to be 
a house of love and knowing the love of God. But then it has to become not only the loved, but the lover of others. Amen. Turn with me to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And this is what the household of faith has to be also. I don't know if we're going to get through all this today. We might have to make this a two-part series. We already had a seven part and then a two part of the one of the seven parts. I don't know. I just want to get it preached to you. Amen. How many of you want to hear it? Yeah. Might as well just, whether it takes two or three sermons. Because I know we're not going to have enough time this week to get through all this. But look what it says. Ephesians 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. See, in one translation it says, be imitators of God as dear children. How many of you know children imitate their parents? Then when they say a dirty word in public, they really get embarrassed. Oh, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Where'd you learn that? You, every night. No. <laughs> it's true. I mean, come on, let's face it. But children imitate their parents. Look what it says here. And be, therefore, followers or imitators of God as dear children. This is a household of faith. And walk in love. And then, then, you know, walk in love. Well, how do you do that? Well, he describes it next. And walk in love. Be imitators and walk in love. Well, God's love. But what love aspect are we supposed to especially imitate here? Walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Giving yourself and forgiving others. You know, being made a sacrifice, Jesus became the sacrifice to forgive us. He hung on the cross to forgive us, right? We all get that? That's what he's saying. He's saying two things. Two things, how you love the household of faith. You give yourself to it. If you're going to be imitators of God and you're going to walk in love, you have to give yourself. Like Jesus gave himself for others. And then you're going to have to forgive others. Two main things for faith to work. Faith has to work, number one, because it knows the love of God loves me and I can trust it and I can just step out on that, on that plank. I can walk out on that branch because I know Jesus is holding it. I can trust him because he loves me so much. He won't let me down. I can trust his love. Number two, then the household of faith, to be a house of faith, for your faith to work, you're going to have to walk in love because faith walks by love. Forgiveness. Jesus says you're going to have to love one another in these two ways. Give yourself and forgive others. Now, let me, let me confirm that with another scripture. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty two through 24. Or actually 25. Mark eleven twenty two through 25. And Jesus talks a lot about prayer and forgiveness here. Jesus talks about how to make your faith work. Jesus says right here in Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answered and saith them, have faith in God. Or one translation says the faith of God. Or the same faith that God has in himself. Everybody say, I'm going to have the God kind of faith. It says that in one translation. Say, I want the God kind of faith. Or have faith in God. And it says, for verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not down in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. We know that. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Oh man, we like that part. And when you stand praying, forgive. Oh, we don't know if we like that part. Because, brother, I don't, Pastor Bill, I don't know if I can forgive my uncle who did that to me. You don't know? Well, God knows, and he says you can. God commands that for your faith to work, for you to be a household of faith, there has to be love 
expressed through forgiveness. Remember, we just read over there in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 that Jesus says that we're to be imitators of him who gave himself and laid down his life as a sacrifice to forgive us, that his love is giving himself and forgiving others. So here it says if we're going to walk in love and for our faith to work and for faith to work, it says that we're going to have to, when you stand praying, forgive. For your faith to work, you're going to have to forgive. See, and we know forgiveness is love because we read in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 that imitating God and having his love is forgiving. So when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father, which is also in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Brother Hagin talks about a lady who says, well, you know, I just can't forgive. You know, I can forgive my husband, but I just can't forgive this relative. And, you know, and he goes on and he tells, and, and, I, and I found this to be... Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice that you make. It's a legal standing that you allow the other person to forgive his debt. It's a forgiving of their debt. And you can still feel unforgiveness and have forgiven them. You mean my my feelings aren't king, God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth? No, they're not. Your feelings, I'm going to feel on a little bit, I'm going to feel on a little secret about your feelings. They're stupid. <laughs> Just a little secret for you guys to find out. Your feelings and my feelings, and even all our feelings all put together, aren't smart enough to have a, an IQ above double digit. Your feelings are the stupidest thing you can follow in your life. Somebody say amen. They're fickle, they're back and forth, they're unstable as can be. And if you follow your feelings, you'll be the most unstable, pathetic, foolish, lost, crazy person that you'll ever see in the mirror. (laughs) But if you'll follow the word of God, for my word is forever established in heaven. How many of you want to be established? It says the righteous man that he is established. His faith is fixed. He's immovable. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Because one day he's emotional and the next day he's biblical. And he goes back and forth like the waves of the sea. And the Bible says, now, you know, use your faith believing, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Let not that man think he will receive anything from God. And your feelings will take you on a roller coaster ride that is almost as, as ruthless and as heartless as hell itself. You've got to learn to cast down your feelings. Get control over your emotions. Be in charge of your soulish man. And say, this is how I'm going to choose to feel. Smith Wilderth says, I never ask Smith Wilderth how he feels. I tell him how he's going to feel today. Filled with joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control. God doesn't say if you feel that way. He says reach down into your spirit where all those things reside and don't pay attention to your your flesh. Put your flesh down and start living out of your spirit, man, where there's joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Amen. So we've got to choose to walk and forgive others because forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a legal status that you allow the other person to have in your life as forgiven. 
I still don't like you. I still don't feel like forgiving you. But I make the spiritual quality, biblical decision and choice to forgive you anyway with my words and my actions. Somebody say amen. amen. And just say, I for, and you know what? The more you do that, the more just magically your feelings will start falling in line with it. It's not magically. I just said that to be silly. Because so few people do it. If you will just do what the word of God says, God knows your emotions. God doesn't want you to have a misery all the time. But when you obey him and do it, see, so here's what people are. Well, I can't do it until I feel it. God says, you can't feel it until you do it. Somebody get that right. So that your prayers can be answered. You see, you have to do it and then you'll feel it. And we're waiting to feel it, to do it. Hmm. If that were true, I would never get out of bed most mornings. Because I still feel sleepy. I still feel too sleepy. I feel too sleepy to get up. But when I get up, then I start feeling awake. Imagine that. Imagine the actions have to precede feelings. Oh my gosh, what a deep revelation, Pastor Bill. We should know these things. The Bible t- commands us to forgive people. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, we're out of time here. We're going to pick up next week. But God is love. For the household of faith to be a household of faith, we've got to understand that faith worketh by love. First, the love that God has shown towards us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost when we're born again, it says in Romans 5 and verse 5. And so the love of God is shed abroad. God shows us his love. He shows us that we can trust him. And then the fear goes away and the faith comes in. And then he says, now you've got to grow up and you've got to be like me. And you've got to walk in love. And you've got to forgive people, which is the, probably the biggest violation of love that ever happens. In, in, you know, most everything that, that we're mad about is because somebody did something to us. Sometimes we think it's God. Somebody say amen. amen. Now you try to think of something that you're angry about or something that you feel unforgiveness about. It's always a person. And every once in a while that person might be God. You might be mad at God. Not that he needs your forgiveness, but you need to forgive him. You need his forgiveness. And so you will never experience walking in love until you learn how to forgive. And lay your life down for other people. Because Jesus said, be imitators of your heavenly father, children. And these two things, give yourself to people and forgive people. And then you'll know what my love is towards you. And then you'll understand what I'm having to exercise towards you every day. And then you'll begin to understand that, you, oh, you love me first. That's how I can love you. And so, see, but the household of faith, there can never be faith. Faith can't operate when we're all afraid and we don't trust God. Faith cannot operate when we're all in sin and not forgiving each other. But faith can operate when we all believe in God, that perfect love casts out all of our fear. And when we all walk in love towards one another, and then our Father in heaven can forgive us just like we forgive them. Can I get an amen? So we're going we're to knock off here a little bit earlier today. And uh, we're going to pick up next week. I'll just give you the other three. It's good. Uh, the house of faith has to be a house of love. Number two, it has to be a house or a place of agreement. Number three, it has to be a place of confession. And then number four, uh, it's, it's going to have to be, or wait, did I give you the wrong? A place of confession and then uh, a place of helps ministry. So let me say that again. Number one, a house or a place of love, a place of agreement, a place of helps ministry. 
and then a place of confession for us to be a household of faith. And we need to especially love and care for the people in the household of faith. We'll pick up next week on these. Let's all stand up.